0: Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Chef Extraordinaire Kerth Guns, head chef at New London Concept, Boiler and Company. Coming up on today's show. Kerth tells
1: us how he kept fit back in Anguilla. And I used to do running for free where me and my friends on the weekends used to go and catch wild goats. Phil reveals one of the negatives of London.
0: You can't bomb a ride in London, that's for sure. And Kerth questions Phil's goals.
1: So you're telling me you're like next in line for the next Mr Olympia? All that and
0: so much more as we chat through Kerth's wonderful story and journey to date. Kerth's journey is full of lessons for us all and his story shows a wonderful combination of toughing it out, adapting your mentality and pushing through. He tops this off with a live-in-the-moment style approach to his life and cooking and there's no doubt that he's reaping the benefit of that now. Curse also recounts his great British menu experience. Not to be missed. Please don't forget to give us a like, subscribe and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening. It really does make a huge difference. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today we're back in the kitchen and I welcome someone who's had quite the career actually and you've built a hell of a career for yourself so far. We'll talk about that obviously in a bit more depth shortly, but he's worked with some brands such as Tom Aitkins, Joel Robichon, The Wolseley, The Arts Club, Ormer and Mayfair, and he now finds himself as the head chef at Boiler and Company, which I'm sure we will learn more about later on. But it gives me huge pleasure to welcome the always awesome Kerf Gums.
1: Hey, hi guys, hi, hi. Thank you for How having me. How you doing? Good, You're good. very, very welcome. What's what's new? are you
0: recording from home today?
1: Yes, yes, I'm home, luckily, on the weekend. Nice sun shining out today, so it's a good time to be off, really.
0: Spring is in the air, <clears throat> hopefully. It's a good, well, that's a good time for ingredients in the kitchen as well, right? Spring is a, yeah, a wonderful definitely. time. Definitely.
1: One of those um, the seasons that um, I'm most excited about is always spring. Fresh, new ingredients, light, you know, so I just find uh, spring more of a preferable time for me to get really creative.
0: Got you. Yeah. And of course, I mentioned at the top there that you're, um, you've fairly recently, going back sort of four months or so now, but you uh, joined a, a, a concept called Boiler & Company. Do you want to just give us a quick overview of what, what that involves and what's, um, what's the concept?
1: Well, Boiler & Company, um, it's a synergy and uh, a marriage between myself and some business partners, where it started out very much like a, as a cocktail bar. And when we added the food element to it in um, my culinary direction, it's equal emphasis on um, the creativity of the chef and the, the mixologist of what we're going to do in terms of the concept matching food rather than, specifically, sorry, when it comes to my menu in terms of the tasting menu, which runs from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., more like a supper club. It is paired with cocktails rather than wines. But in terms of the whole concept of and company, you can come in for coffee, uh, which is award-winning coffee we do by Kiss by Hippo. Uh, you can have small dishes, sharing dishes, um, à la carte. But the the whole menu that is really exciting uh, for that culinary experience is to come down and try the tasting menu from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. And the the idea behind that is, it's first time now after all these years living overseas and really cooking modern British, living in Singapore and then in Southeast Asian flavors, you know, I was always cooking, fine dining, mission start cooking on, you know, French techniques, uh, modern European, and doing all the luxuries from the gras to the truffles and cream bases and the butters and everything like that. But now I'm starting to incorporate and shine a light on those humble ingredients from, from my region, from growing up in the Caribbean not just the individual ingredients like sweet potato and coconut, but I'm talking about my interpretation on, on dishes uh, that I grew up eating, such as crunchy dumplings, coconut, you know, fungi and saltfish, and these kind of things. So that menu now, you have hints of spices and different chilies from scotch bonnets, and not in an offensive way, but so I'm, I'm mixing in a new storyline where the dishes or the, the, the tasting menu has international influences because, you know, I've been learning my craft and cooking overseas for many years now, but I'm now applying those techniques onto those humble ingredients to make the produce and those dishes, local dishes from different Caribbean islands as well as my own growing up in Angola uh, shine a bit. So yeah.
0: Cool. That sounds awesome. I the uh, I am um, the I'd love a tasting menu. I don't need an excuse to come and try a tasting menu. I did have a, a a cheeky look on the website before we turned everything on here and had this chat. Right up my alley. It's the food looks beautiful. I love the fact that you're talking uh, about kind of uh, uh, dealing with fairly humble ingredients, actually, but just you know treating them with respect and and delivering what looks like a wonderful product.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean. It's it's I've always wanted to uh, cook in a place that more uh, represents my personality, and um, so far the boxes are ticking. From boiling coal, you know we don't have uh, tablecloths, we don't have um, you know people just buzzing around making you feel a little bit like claustrophobic. It's really friendly, approachable service. It's an open kitchen. Um, on the weekends, from Thursday, Friday, Saturdays in the evening, we can have a little DJ. You know you can have your cheeky cocktails over in a whiskey bar. If you want a more private setting, you can go upstairs into another bar that's going to be launching in the next couple of weeks. And mostly, most importantly, everybody feels connected because it's private yet still open. I mean, the kitchen is small, but everybody's, you know, completely visible. I literally touch every table that comes in to, to dine. So um, that's that's very good. We, of course, you know, when you're working in a place that you see more represent your personality, I take my food very seriously. But at the same time, I'm quite a fluent and jolly kind of guy to get around, you know. I'm not, like, wanting to be sticked up. And, yeah, you work on the food, you do lots of hours. But at the same point in time, it's now where we are in an open-plan kitchen. You get to see the customer's appreciation. Or you hear their, their thanks. Or you hear the positivity. Or you ask questions for the next couple of weeks in case when you got to come back. Whether it's necessary or not, we're all now just taking off our training wheels and learning to grow with the new way of hospitality because we just came up of a... You know, quite a crucial time, and we're probably still in it of uh, the backhand of, yeah. of, of, a pan- of a pandemic. But why not cook in a place where you're comfortable doing what you want to do, and you know, tasty food, friendly atmosphere, and uh, yeah, it's all about that kind yeah. of amb- ambience.
0: What's not to love, man? That's that, that is absolutely bang on, and you're right. I mean, it's been it's been a tough old time, right? So at least it sounds like you're doing something that's. That, that, that kind of comes naturally to you in terms of you know the the food that you're offering, your natural personality. I mean, I, I I first became aware of you as probably a lot of people on the Great British Menu. um You really put yourself on the map in that experience, and we'll talk about that in a bit more depth because I'm really intrigued to learn about that process. But you mentioned that you've worked overseas, and obviously you, your origins are in the Caribbean. So let's head all the way back to the beginning of your career. And um, how did you get into Or when did you first realize that you wanted to become a chef?
1: Well, this was kind of like uh, one of those default compulsory moments. And I've always said the same story. When you grew up in the Caribbean, when I reach around fourth form or fifth form, uh, two years before you, you leave school, you have to choose between three subjects, uh, which is compulsory. It would be auto mechanics, woodwork, or food nutrition. Right. And, um, you know, I was doing my little assessments, walking around the different classrooms to figure out which one of these I think I would, you know, fit in. And, you know, the auto mechanics thing, I've never been that type of boy to be, like, you know, trying to build cars and look on the hoods and getting oily. All the woodworks, so I wasn't <laughs> that kind of um, creative guy, either, like, you know, chiseling the rare stuff and just watching the sawdust fly in the air. And all this, it was just so <laughs> messy and dirty, you know? And I was like, hmm. I wasn't sure about that. But when I walked across the food nutrition class, man, I looked inside of the window. It was like 15 girls, and two guys. And I was like, whoa, that's a class. I got to get in there, you know? And he says, yeah, I'm going to get in there. And at the end of the day, you know, all jokes aside, you know, my mom was a renowned chef on the island, um, you know, very well-respected. And I think it more resonated with me to say, why not go into a food nutrition class? You know, um, growing up in the Caribbean yeah. was tough. It was hard. And at least again, take another box. I knew every every Friday afternoon or whenever that food nutrition class is, at least I'll get a chance to go home with a solid meal or whatever, some kind of goodie, whether it's a cake or cookie. Um, so you get into you're getting a win win situation, you know. You're in a you're in a class, it was like three boys, fifteen girls, you're getting to eat what you cook. They were just ticking more boxes for me. And then shortly after, like, the teachers was always like, you know, you put the boys against the girls and so forth. And then they were encouraging and really seeing that actually the boys were really doing well and taking this class, uh, you know, as or even a little bit more serious than um, the girls. So we had a lot of encouragement there. And, um, you know, it's time I finished school. I started to open a pizzeria in uh, with my best friend. Um, and it was kind of relatively easy to do because uh, his uncle owned the... Leading bakery on the island. So basically, all the infrastructure was there ready, you know, to make the pizza, all the equipment and so forth, the ovens. But they work from, you know, 5 a.m. to 2 p.m. So basically, in, in the evening, the, the kitchen was free. So we end up renting it and using it as that space to do pizza. Because that was one of the things that we started to do in our food nutrition class in school, which was making pizza and selling it on break times to the students and so forth. So we just naturally turned it into a little concept. And, um, it was called "Let Me Know," Let Me Know's Pizza Hut, and it just means "Let me know what you want." And um, nice, yeah, yeah. And uh, we did that for about like a year and a half, or what's not. And and then I, from there, I end up going into my first five star hotel. It's a, a beautiful five star hotel on the island called Capuchiluka, and. Um, I started off there as a as a waiter and, and an expediter to learn how to carry the trays and glasses. And I was in the kitchen, but I wasn't cooking. You know, I was getting to see everybody doing everything, but I was just taking the food down and, and, and so forth. So that was, like, my real, like, professional job, uh, my first job in a, in a professional atmosphere in terms of being in hospitality. And it was more as a waiter than an expediter. I can imagine
0: that's helped you, though, like, uh, getting a, especially, like, getting that cohesion between kitchen to front of house having some front of house experience must be very
1: helpful and that, exactly i mean I, I always take it i don't take it for granted watching when you get new staff in and they're carrying trays and they fall the glasses or you know whether it's champagne glasses or flutes and so i i used to used to be practicing every morning next to the pool and i used to crash a load of glasses because the trays was you know much bigger but you have to learn to appreciate um that it's not that easy walking up and down stairs, having the balance, you know, knowing where you set in the glasses and which one you should take off first to not off balance that tray, as well as seeing how the guest is served in terms of, you know, table settings and putting the food in front of them, their that, that yeah. first initial reaction. So yeah, it was good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you, you started out life as a as a waiter. How did the transition happen? into the kitchen or or did you have some more roles to do first before you got into the kitchen
1: but I think um, it was kind of uh, again like by default in a sense because I was um, growing up in Caribbean I think I had three areas I can say that I was um, very interested in uh, doing well in and one of them were track and field you know I even had a scholarship I went to world championships to compete in Edmonton Canada in 2002 Uh I think Right, But as well, again, the good sides of that is having a scholarship and having someone recognize your talent and, and, and your ability to be an athlete. Again, in the Caribbean life, it's a little bit different. So I was a little bit of a delinquent as well, you can say. Um, and uh, as all these positive opportunities, I started doing track and field and running because when I realized these kids that was getting to travel you know five or six different countries in, in four months just to run and i used to do running for free where me and my friends on the weekends used to go and catch wild goats and sell them to people and for butchering <laughs> and so forth yeah and that Jeez was just Lewis, right? running the wild running and catching wild goats and then these guys was going traveling and staying in hotels and swimming pools and getting everything paid for i wasn't really traveling anywhere like you know 14 15 years old so i was like okay that seems good. That's an incentive. So I I joined the track and field team. I was running for free. So now I'm getting like, you know, free travel and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, this is great. This is where I got to be. Yeah. So, um, and why not, right? I, eventually, it had like a lot of discipline. And like I said, you know, you started to talk shine. I was like the second fastest in the school. And, you know, I was the captain of my whole house and everything like that. But sadly enough, when it came to a time where different hardships and, and problems um, growing up in the, in the islands, Make me a little bit more surrounded by a lot of negative energy as well, coming from in myself or around whether it's you know my peers, whether it's my upcoming, it was just things that you get involved with as, as, a, as a young team. And um, my coaches at that time, I was supposed to go to have this scholarship like in, in 2003, and they pr- yeah. pr- pr- postponed my scholarship. To, to go to Jamaica to train in 2004, September. And I was extremely annoyed. And I was like, no, like, what? I'm the second pastor in the school. Like, why am I going to wait a whole year? Because you wanted to punish me because I had some kind of um, uh, disturbance um, and being a little juvenile in a sense. And they wanted to help me to see a different path. And th- th- their their sanction was to postpone my scholarship for a year. So I, like wasn't really happy with that. Um, I had a brief discussion actually with my father because while I was in, in school, at that time I remember there was um, a scout that was coming from uh, a culinary college. It's called Le Cordon Bleu, or Le Cordon Bleu. And yeah. um, they're all over the world in France, London, America. And I told him like, I'm interested probably looking into that. And at the end of the day, I told him this on a Friday and by the Monday or Tuesday, he came with me with paperwork and saying, hey, I found this, I found this, da, da, da. He was quite maybe happy because, as I said, I used to get in a lot of trouble back home, loads of different fights and different things like that. And, you know, when, he, when we first had that conversation, because I grew up with my mom and he was, uh, they were never together, like, separated. So I grew up mostly um, with my other brothers on my mom's side. And um, finally, when we had this kind of discussion, he decided to look for the furthest Away school as possible, and that was right here in London. Um, in the cut and Bleu, we could have gone to the one in Tartola, we could have gone to the one in California. But I guess for him, it's like, you know, I could have easily get a two hour flight back home any other weekend. But if you come all the way to London, you can't travel back, it's an investment, you know, you really right. need to think yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. So he got me away from that,
0: yeah. You're if, if you're in, you're in,
1: yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. we talk about that in the September 2003, and by the first of January two thousand four, I was here in the UK, you know, blowing smoke out of my mouth because it was so cold, uh, and that was like a, a new reg- regulation to me too. <laughs> yeah,
0: have you gotten so, used to um, that yet?
1: Oh, not really. I'm still a tropical boy, but um I was yeah. you know, I definitely love London. But yeah, so that's how we—that's how it happened, really. So even though I was doing the way and everything, I did have a scholarship, and because that kind of like went on the back burner, I'm being young. I decided to take up the second thing and I was just, you know, talking over them, you know, just casual conversation. And it, it, it kind of like developed very quickly from September and then January, first of January, boom, three months later, I was in the UK, um, no friends, no family. I had one cousin that came and picked me up and showed me the ropes a little bit for the, for um, two days. And I, then I was on my own, you know, I was, again, because I was an athlete instead of um, catching the bus, I was running, following the bus route where my cousin showed me, and I was running behind the bus to each bus stop just to learn. I I I, I learned my bearings visually rather than going and sitting in the bus and I'm getting lost. I, if the bus drives this route and he stops, I stop. When he goes, I go. I was running for like half half an hour. God. So, yeah, Very for one week.
0: That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. To just, I mean, to learn my routes, I was in a big city. I've never been on taxis. I've never been in a tube. I've never seen snow, but I knew how to run. So... My cousin told me this is the route and I followed that route and I didn't get on the bus. I run behind of it for one week straight because in case they went to a different diversion or what's not. So I learned my bearings by seeing what what the bus route was passing.
0: Right. Yeah. It's funny, actually, a, a lot of people get when you come to London, you just get into the tube network. Right. And then. That's how you learn to get around. But actually, the I, I remember the day that I I kind of woke up and said, "I'm going to actually." The centre of London is pretty condensed. It's not mm. that far to walk anywhere. And I, the the day that I started doing that was the day that I started learning where stuff was. And I remember going like walking past Ronnie Scott's and going, "Oh, that's where Ronnie Scott's is." Yeah, I had no idea, you know. And and the, that's how you develop the knowledge of of the place that you that you're living in, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, like coming from an island, I mean, we only have 15,000 people. It's very small. We don't right. have taxi si- systems like that. And that's for us to get from point A to point B or either walk or you boom a ride. And I never seen anybody done that over here. We just put our thumb fingers out and we, you know, that's the direction we need to go. And someone stops you, a, st- a total stranger, you jump in and you, you come out at, your, at the closest to your, your destination. That's what we did. We right. bum rides. So yeah. this whole bus and tubes was completely new to me.
0: Yeah, you can't bomb a ride in London. No, that's sure. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, so you you arrived in London on pass with le cordon bleu. What happened next?
1: So I did um I did my grand diploma and uh, graduated on a basic, intermediate, and superior cuisine and patisserie all crammed into one uh one one module. I did uh cuisine in the day, pastry in the night. So I get my grand diploma, and then I went out to to work um, looking for a job and it was great as well. It was more refreshing. I mean, I was like 17, 18 years old, you you know, and to do that module, you get to graduate three times. I didn't graduate from my high school again because of going up in Ireland. I was on the list of, uh, you know, one of those problematic kids. So they didn't let me graduate. But when I come to the UK, I did graduate the three times from from that college, uh, from the Institute. And then I I took my first job um, at, Terence Conran, Eno's. Uh, that was like, yeah, many years ago. And as well, it's a place where I met one of the chefs that I most respect. Um, I mean, there's a couple of chefs that I, I've met in my career that I do respect, but I mean, I always talk about, um, you know, the, the kindness of Julian O'Neill, which is someone I met from way back in my early careers and who as well uh, gave me the encouragement to move into the Michelin world uh, after leaving his kitchen. So, yeah
0: yeah that, not a not a bad start to uh to get stuck into quaglino's as well i mean it's not known as quaglino's now but the
1: back in the busy day, yeah. restaurant yeah,
0: yeah busy busy restaurant but still a a, a a good caliber of cooking right
1: yeah 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 definitely definitely um and especially coming straight up to school and at a, a college like that and you're thinking you know stuff and then reaching in like no you don't you know doing things in theory and in practical as well or two different different things and um, mm. it was a good foundation for about three and a half years I stayed moved up moved all around and then because of my hunger and the passion I think um Julian did tell me I should go and work in a Michelin star kitchen he recommended Tom Akins because it's gonna be tough it's gonna be this and I, you know he was completely right it was um a really different and difficult kitchen to be in. But um, equally so, I think r- lots of respect towards uh, the cuisine that he was doing at that time as well. It was very creative, adventurous, um, and intense. Um, but I say, saying, you know, you're, you're stimulated, you know, under pressure. And um, at least there was a time when, you know, everybody's still just hustling. The kitchen times was very different back then. Um, you know, working in one year in a kitchen such as that was like equivalent of doing two. In, in, in another right. kitchen was yeah, yeah it was um you know but i'm guessing
0: your your learning curve would have been steep yeah. as well right so especially to move from a non-michelin environment into a michelin environment where it's now all about it's really about precision but precision under pressure yeah uh, as as well and that's that's a big step to to take and you know you, you mentioned the fact that it's a you know it's a pressure kitchen but at the end of the day it's you know, if you want to achieve something really positive, generally speaking, there's going to be some pressure
1: around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think it's it's all about the the, the mentality of what you have, and I said that in the most positive way yeah. because at the end of the day, I, all my interviews, I still talk about it related to difficult kitchen. I still probably wouldn't be in the chef that I am today with the certain ethics and principles, and you know, I always uh, remembered and, and, and um, enjoyed seeing those creative dishes all the time so you can't just i think you can go a place and only want to take the good out of it and not understand that there is going to be some ankle work and backbone have to make give build you up some certain level of resilience for you to stay on board and learn because you know i'm a firm believer once you have acquired that knowledge or experience no one can take it away from you that's yours so you gonna have to put it in rather than watching things on social media now and seeing things on instagram and thinking oh, that looks good. I want to learn that. And you learn it and then you think that's it. No, it goes more than that. You know, it's one step to be deeper.
0: in a exactly, massive journey. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. And you uh, generally speaking as well, uh, the, the vast majority of things that are uh, worth doing are, you know, are the things where you test yourself. And that could be a test from a technical capability and it can be a test from, uh, you know, a psychological capability in yeah. terms of, things that put you into a place that you're not familiar with. It's how you respond, as you said, to to that, that actually determines where you go with that next.
1: And I found it extremely, even difficult, like I said, like coming from the islands and being a little hothead and everything and then being thrown into this environment with other people that are hotheads. And and, then you guys think about it, like, what do I want? What do I want to achieve? And I just had to hush my mouth, yes, chef da 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 and create some discipline and, and try to say that this is gonna be better for me here in the long run rather than me trying to, you know, lose my own opportunities. Because got it? in the, yeah. every good chef has a good scar, a good story. As you know, it could be in some part of it gonna have to be difficult. You you don't just wake up in the golden spoon and think you're gonna be on top. You have to work, you have to have some kind of level of discomfort, whether it's physical or psychological, but that that is what it is. But when you leave then in and to Hawaii address my kitchen now is where you you take all these things and cipher them out in different areas and work out what's the best way to make you a the better person whether a better cook or a better manager but you can't do that unless you you see both sides
0: yeah yeah, yeah. and you know you take the the take the good and the bad right and you you process yeah. that in your own way and you move forward with it in your own way but it to your point around you know if you like imagine a a, a situation Whereby you are, you know, you set a goal for yourself that you want to shoulder press fifty kilograms, and the first time you pick up a weight, you know, you can't shoulder press ten kilograms. Just an example. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um,
0: what what do you do? Do you go, oh God, the gap is too great for me to get from there to there, or do you just push through the ten and do as well? You can, and then you incrementally increase yeah, yeah. to the eleven, to fifteen, to twenty, and before you know it. You're on the, the, the touch and distance of your goal. But you can't okay. just expect to to wake up one morning and go, all right, I'm going to press 50 kilograms. Same principle thing, in every, every fact of life.
1: And the thing about that is, even though using that analogy, you have to realize, even if you do 10 kilograms and then 15 kilograms, a day after or two days after, you're going to have a a, a, a burn. You're going to have a muscle yeah. burn that you'll know, half- be like, whoa. And that's going to hurt you, but you keep going, and then eventually that muscle bond will become lighter and less noticeable, and then equally so you're becoming stronger. So, it's brilliant analogy. So yeah, there is hard work gives you some kind of scarring somewhere, and then eventually you reach that goal.
0: Absolutely. Going to say I use that analogy because that's a goal I've actually set myself. So right, (laughs) and you know, and the first time I picked up uh, fifteen kilograms, I was like, God. just you know it just uh i I use it as a real world example of the fact that i still you know you still set the goal and you still work just keep working towards it and you'll you'll you will achieve something
1: so you're telling me you're like next in line for the next mr olympia (laughs)
0: absolutely not absolutely not i'm actually doing it as i'm now at the wrong side of 40 so i'm in mid 40s now and um you know it's widely written about the fact that you know as you get older you're your muscle capability diminishes and I'm actually yeah. doing it purely to kind of just stop that in its tracks rather than just waiting for yeah. me to waste yeah. away uh, as it were. So, uh, and maybe just defy a little bit of the, the written logic, but anyway, I digress. Sorry, that was my fault.
1: No, worries, man. so yeah, from Tom Higgins, then I left and went on to a different type of mission style, uh, which is um, Joel Robichaud and that was on another aspect Um when you know equally so very very precise very creative um but the way they conduct the kitchen was a lot different to being at at, at tour making but equally both really really good just a different style and it was all in french i didn't know you know i, I was going in as like a chef de party they gave me a certain time a week to learn how to conquer all the numbers from one to a hundred in a week because uh generally if you if you're gonna be a chef de party you're gonna be upstairs in the, in the show kitchen cooking. You need to learn to understand the menu in French because we're mostly just French chefs, French sous chefs. And especially like with the first six months when um, Mr. Robichon came, I will always get pushed back to do the smaller jobs. And then the sous chef will come onto the section because he comes there, everybody's really on, on the toes and on the edge. And it's all in French, the service. But by the six month or seven months uh, when he came back again before the first year up, like, I learned my French uh, in terms of just to do what's the menu. I'm not like, you know, fluent, but just to do what my dishes are, to learn out what scallops is, what is, you know, your poulet, your sem-jacks, your whatever. And yeah. my, my the counting in, in French, because it was important for them that when, they, especially with the entrecourt, you send it, the, the entrecourt to the table and the customer for the mark in it. And then when you come back, you cut it and you have to wear it and say, oh, this this steak was, you know, seas grams or whatever, whatever you know, and you have to sell them like that. So it was again right. another learn, learning curve. It was very interesting. And after we got our second star, um, it was a new opening after the second year. I stayed there for about two and a half, and from there I went back to with with my mentor, which was Julian. And he had then left the Craig Yanks and he took took up the head chef role at the Woolsley. And then that was another powerhouse. I mean, you're doing seven yeah. to eight hundred covers a day. Over breakfast, a phenomenal lunch phenomenal place phenomenal exactly. place exactly exactly, so I walked there again, built my way up you know to you know sous chef from junior Sioux to, to sous, to you know senior Sioux, et cetera, and um that was a very interesting place again, but having that that was like working in the Michelin world, having that connection towards you know where I was back home and being more on the, shorter temperament side or tolerant side. And he was thinking like, this, these are things that um, mix wells within the old days of being in a Michelin world. But then when I was in, in, in the Wusley, it was more learning about management rather than learning how to cook. But at the same time, when you right. do have that kind of personality or that trait, it was not great to be uh, accepted in those environments. So I had to learn to kind of tone it down quite a lot. And uh, that was a, a different learning curve as well to learn to manage myself or my expectations or my temperament or the, the level of tolerance because what was accepted in the mission world was not going to be ex- accepted in that world of being, you know, going to busy kitchen and so forth. You have to become more of a, a, a people's person or you know, someone who can be able to communicate, articulate and control yourself better. So it was yeah. uh, again, another interesting set of three years and slowly, slowly after that I started to get like I yearned to get back into the creative world again and, and and do good food. So after leaving there, I went back into um the Michelin environment and I wanted to as well to see what 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 hotels do. Because you do the fine dining after six years. And to be quite frank, you know, six years doing double every day, six fifteen to seventeen hours, you know, it was very tired. And so that's why you you end up doing the brasy setting, which was more of a balance of life, which was good but then you yep. equally want to get back into the food. And then I've never done hotels and I said, okay, let's try to see what a hotel restaurant is like. And I went into the Hilton at, at um, Park Lane as a senior sous, And that was nice for a bit. And I still wanted to know to say, you know what, actually international experience, um, you know, okay. every chef, yeah, every chef talk about they've been here, they work in France, they work in this place, it's in Dubai, America, et cetera. I can only truly make myself an asset to myself Unless so I I I covered these bases. So it came at a point in time in my life after uh, the and I said, I got to throw myself in the deep end again. And I, I went to Singapore. You like doing I that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you got to, you got to. Um, I was yeah. on, a, on a mission. I'm still on a mission. So the only thing I was much younger then, you know, I'm uh, starting to get a gray hairs in the beard now. So you can tell, <laughs> going on, you're going yeah. on
0: priorities change a little bit over time don't they but they, they kind of make make hay while you've got especially i suppose at this point in time as well you're still you'd still very much be in a a learning phase of who you want to become as a chef and yeah. you know and by giving yourself i suppose the as many opportunities in various different places as possible you start to hone you learn about the stuff that you don't want to do as much as you learn about the stuff that you you do want to do, so you're kind of forming your identity. Um, yeah,
1: z- exactly, and that's all has shaped me around many different aspects. Um, so that was good, and you know, as I say, moving to Singapore for three three and a half years that was another great experience. I was working for one of Jason Atkin's restaurants, a new opening over there, and um, that was interesting as well. I and mean, you had the concept was like uh, Spanish tapas. But you know you had the the head chef who was Irish. You had me as a senior, and you know British um, background. But we were doing a Spanish restaurant concept with modern yeah. European techniques, serving to the Asian community. So that yeah. was uh...
0: <laughs> <laughs> you almost can't make it up sometimes, can you? Pretty, um...
1: <laughs> but it was very good, very good, very successful restaurant, very buzzing, and yeah, that was interesting. After my stint there, then I returned to London and. Again, try something different, do a private members club now to take all these things. So I did the hotel, did a bachelor's, did a Michelin star, did a private members club. And, you know, after a couple of years there again, then I decided to go out and, 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 you know, try to push towards getting awards and nominations. And that was the concept for Omar Mayfair in terms of championing uh, British produce, Jersey produce. Uh, and then, you know, I opened that and was at the helm for the best part of five years um and you know, bringing it up to a certain level of brand uh where weight it stands today and um that was another great learning curve opening from when the place was a complete construction site in terms of the kitchen element, and never having that yeah. service of food there. So there was quite a quite a lot to learn there and a lot of a lot of things to do there as well. And um yeah, it was good
0: yeah and no doubt I and mean, that's uh it was around that time that i I became aware of you. We talked about great British menu earlier, of course, but the the one thing that I've learned about you in the the short time that I've known about you is your your social media presence is awesome like your the stuff that you put out it's full of energy, it's full of creativity, your food looks ridiculously amazing. You clearly have a, a, a creative eye for presentation uh, as well. And I would I would just say to anybody who's listening to this who doesn't follow you already, give Kareth a follow on Instagram if you want some food porn on a daily basis.
1: Throw it in there, food porn, of course, you love it. No, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it's all about fun and yeah, it's that abstractness, um, vibrantness. Towards um, again, who I am and as a person, I to say I'm very approachable and easy, easygoing, and um, that's what you want. You want to cook with fun. You you want to see food that looks fun, that's going to taste vibrant and interesting. And it's it's a complete representation of what I do. There's no hidden tricks to it. You know, we take a quick picture, a quick video, and yeah, it's real life. That's it. You come down to the restaurant at Bowling Company, and uh, it'll be the same thing. You got to witness it for yourself. So definitely do 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 check it out.
0: Yeah, I, the, the video I saw the other day was you. Uh, I think you just taking receipt of like herbs, but the um, oh. <laughs>
1: the the
0: energy that you had towards these things coming into your your space was like, wow, that's you know you clearly care greatly about your craft.
1: Yes, definitely. I would say that definitely. Yeah, and it's ever it's ever evolving. You know, you seem like I said to people like. Of course, you would like to, to, to get awards and nominations and so forth. But my driving force is not now, like, not looking just for these things anymore. Not looking just for the Michelin star or the awards or the nominations. I want to make sure that my staff, as well as myself, are happy to come into a place that they're happy to be in. You know, it, it, I always said it, even when I was at OMAM Airfare, same thing. I think having the mission and so forth, it it lies within the team, not just within uh, the chef or the patron or whatever vision we say, because if they're happy to come in and do everything and they're all striving for the same vision and focus, then you'll never feel like you're really working because we all care in the same level. But obviously, you can end up burning through a lot of past and present and even future chefs before they even start to work for you because of that yeah. level of energy. So I want to make sure at Bowling Company, the chefs have a, a a certain level of involvement where, you know, at the end of the day, they're heard, they're also seen. And um, we just do what we do and we do it well and we do it within the comfort of having a a peace of mind. And then if we are doing that great enough to be uh, acknowledged in in terms of getting our award or nomination, then it'll be absolutely great. But I'm not going to try to beat down on on people around me just to make sure you're ticking a certain box uh, for a criteria based on whoever else writes that, you know, I take my food extremely seriously, but at the same time I take myself very lightly in terms of how I want to execute it and solve it. So,
0: Yeah. And then that comes across in then the way that you lead and people will either get on board with that or not. Right. I mean, if, if it's, if that's not the kitchen environment for them, then that's great. That's fine. Move on. But you're, you kind of, you definitely come across as wearing your heart on your sleeve and that you're very authentic in your approach to uh the way that you cook but also just the way that you are and i completely agree with you i think that that puts you in a position of strength in the way that you're just getting on with what you're passionate about you know and you're treating people with respect and i think that's massively critical in any kind of management or leadership role across any business these days and you know whether as you say awards come or not it's kind of immaterial you're doing what you love to do and you're bringing some some people along for the ride. Um, and if somebody yeah. wants to say, you know what, here's a star for your, for your exceptional work, then great. But I'm, I'm also assuming that if they, if they didn't, then you'd just crack on and do what you love to do anyway.
1: Yeah, because, you know, things, life's going to go on. People are going to remember you. You're going to build and train the next generation of chefs. And like it is with hospitality, I think, you know, we can do a lot more rather than deter them. You know, you inspire them. And, and that's how you get through, through growth. Growth as a culinary professional and growth as a as an individual as well. So I'm yeah. always I always you know I always say my motto is human beings create life. Food is the source that maintains it. One can't do without the other. That's my motto, and I live by yeah. that. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. I saw that on your profile. I was like, that's really, really poignant, and also to me, it just highlights how important hospitality is as an industry, because you know we we need food to survive. But we also need experiences to kind of thrive, you know. To, to otherwise, what's the point in being here? You know, yeah. There's no point in just existing. You know, you've got to live and love life as much as possible.
1: Yeah, yeah. Definitely.
0: And I think probably the last couple of years has definitely highlighted that to uh, to a lot of people. But no, that's great. Uh, well, let's let's get on to the Great British Menu because I'm really desperate to ask you about this because I I love that show to bits. That was uh, when that first came out, however many years ago it was, I was like, this is the food show that I've been waiting for on telly to see professional guys really at the top of their game producing incredibly creative cuisine against a specific brief. How did that come about? Was that something that you went to apply for or did somebody say to you, do you know what, You, you need to go forward for this?
1: So to be honest, I mean, ever since coming to into the UK um, in 2004, I think the program started to come out in 2006. And as soon as I graced the TV, obviously I was, at that time, I was just entering the Michigan world as well. And like that, that program like sparked and exploded creativity in, in terms of what it was doing. And I've always been watching it every year, you know, learning and, and, and getting inspiration and so forth. So like, I've always said throughout my career in different places, I would love to do it, I'd love to do it. More to do it, like, again, throwing myself in on the deep end and I want to test myself. And again, to see, is it all worth it? All all the all the trials, all the headaches, all the sleepless nights, everything. I want to test myself to see uh, how good I am, you know. Um, yeah. And it's not a competition against them themselves or the, or the other people. It was more get, uh, about myself to see where I stand in, in, in the, uh, the decisions I've made in the places I've went to work. And then 15 years later, I mean, I pro- popped up on rent uh, at Omer. I mean, we used to do extremely creative food and um, at Omer and we were changing the menus quite often. And I guess at some point, you know, we hosted in 2016 or 17, like uh, I did a, a signature dessert for the master chefs, um, competition, which was filled, filmed in Oma kitchen. I did an apple crumble on my take on it. And I mean, different areas I guess my name or face started to pop up in three years after that. Like someone just messaged and said that they wanted to check me out and possibly say Great Beach man. And I was like, whoa, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, uh, yeah. didn't know how, what I was going to do, how we're going to do it, but I was like, they want to come down and um, have a bit of a recording to test to see you know, what you how you speak, what the food is going to look like, and if you can be on camera as well, as cook at the same time. And I was like, yeah, let's go, let's yeah. do this. And, yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, basically by the time they leave the kitchen, they were like, well, I'm going to tell you now, like, yeah, definitely you're going to be on the program. And, like, you know, I think you, you tick a lot of the boxes, you have great energy, this and that. Um, And we don't need to go and put you in a pool where we're going to pick which ones or what's not. Like, they told me, like, yeah, definitely somebody will be in touch. And I was like, really? Great and then it happened and they sent over the brief and it was 150 years of children's literature and you know that kind of brief for chefs is like so broad and wide to oh really i know i can not imagine creative you can be extremely creative and then you started to do the research and you know you have to pick the, the books and as well books that the other people didn't really do the authors of the local to your region and i was representing south east Southeast London, uh, just Southeast, sorry. And that was, that, that was great. That was great. So getting on that program, it was exhilarating, you know, adrenaline rush, especially like being, you know, you nervous know and seeing that TV set for all these years and finally being there. It was like a roller coaster of a ride. One that was really, really, really pushed for it to, 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 to be there and do the best while I was there. And after winning for the Southeast, um in the in the regionals which was great um the competitors would get a chance to see all the creativity up front and actually taste the food rather than you're seeing it and you're thinking it's good but actually like bringing the flavor together and you tasting the other people well whoa yeah um, even at my at that level of cooking i was still really blown away and generally amazed for some of it um while yeah. being there and after reaching to the finals, and then you go into the kitchen and thinking okay cool we just got to I got I got over the regionals, like you know, it was four of us, and then it was going to be eight of us, which is one winner from all the different regions, and then in walked you know a one Michelin star chef, a two Michelin star chef, another two Michelin star chef, another one Michelin yeah. star chef, and I'm looking like whoa, it's getting um, tight here, but it was good, it was good to be around this this kind of energy. But obviously, I would say yeah, it was obviously eight times harder now because we were four in the, in the first, and you're getting new format, you were going to get deleted after the fish course and i just really wanted to to make it to show my whole menu on the on the friday in which i did and then when we went into the 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 judging room i didn't know where i really didn't know where i stand i just was much more in a comfortable place i i I actually made it to the judging chamber so then when i won it was great and then when you go into the finals as if you recall it was such a hard hard heat for me i had the starter course coming down last to the bottom of, his, of the chain. Fish course going up all the way with um, potential uh, third place, reaching fourth place. Great. Main course all the way back down to the bottom. And then on my dessert course, which I mean I you always knew that I wanted to, uh, you know, I'm more prone around um, fish and Anyways, I always wanted to not fight for the main course because I think every chef always talks about fighting for the main course on the banquet. Yeah, You got to cipher let, it out. Let say. them have it. Let them have it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, all day I'm going and, like, even the guys was on, 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 on camera was like, on Friday was like, Kurt, are you okay? Everything, uh, you know, everything is all right. And I was like, well, you wouldn't be in too much of a smiley mood as well if you had the the week that I had because this was the last opportunity for me to really get in there. There was just that one dish, the dessert now. And um, I really pushed and did everything. And I watched everything in the morning. I wasn't. Nervous about anything, to be honest. Uh, all the desserts that I've seen, all the desserts that I tried, and the last dessert of the day, which was by uh, Alex Green, who did the, the edible book. When I saw that one, because of the content I was like, "Okay, shit, yeah. definitely there's gonna be something here now." um But yeah, and I went there. It was it was an amazing dessert, and I think flavors was good, very interesting, and um it was bang on brief. It was bang on brief because uh, if you do not. Uh, a program and the inspiration is supposed to be 150 years of children's literature. And you're getting people to eat a book um, that's a flavor, that's a dessert. And, you know, it was good. I did the far away tree and then we were in the, in the chambers and everybody was like, I can equally see your dish at the banquet cup, the technical ability, all the elements, presentation, da, da, da. And there was really, really like a half a point in between of it. And at the end of the day, when they when they got Alex to do the, the book, I was like, wow, okay. Feel I feel like a bit deflated, like, oh man, okay, cool. And then we ran back to the kitchen, and the cameras were rolling. And um, obviously, we had the new um the new format for the program, and they were like, just so you know, guys, as well, before you pop the champagne, and for your technical abilities, and standing performance with the dessert as well, Kurt guns, you two will be going to the banquet. And you'll be doing the pre pudding, in and I was like, "What? Okay, cool." So I still got to go. Like, <laughs> you want? Yeah, yeah. You think of it as a default or whatnot? I mean, look, I was happy. I tried to put myself in front of the ball to do it as I will do anyways, and um, I just got back to the drawing board. I changed my pre dessert. I took it. I took inspiration from the big friendly giant, and um, I made a, a banging pre dessert as well, which was you know for the for the banquet, and I was just happy to to be, to be there and to get a chance to, to see that whole process. And especially on my first, first year of competing and, um, yeah. it was a humbling, humbling experience. And it again, it goes to show you in life, like, you know, you might have a destination and everyone's destination might not be a straight arrow and saying, you have to go to that person at that restaurant or this style, or get a Michelin star or get that to, to, to pick your goal or be successful, you know? Um, it, it it was a curveball and a one that was pleasantly received when they came back and just acknowledged because of my dessert and how highly it was scored or viewed as they decided to like you know let's create this this thing and still get cut gums at the banquet to do this and to do that and I was extremely yeah. thankful and humble like I said
0: yeah I mean that, that's really cool thanks for such a detailed run through by the way that was brilliant the thing that I loved about that and that was that's what put you on the map for me was your energy the positivity that you had that you had like even in the face of such an up and down week of you know being down the bottom up again and you know that must you must like go through all of the emotions but yet what you portrayed to anybody who was watching that show was somebody who's just enjoying himself and just you know having a a, a great time you know, when you're in that frame of mind, you kind of do your best work. If it's not meant for this, then that's fine. You know, you just kind of dust yourself off, you know, roll up your sleeves and go again. And also then to just add in that line of drama for the for the viewer at the end to say, "We're you know, we're also now going to give you the opportunity. I mean, I can't imagine what you must have gone through emotionally in that Yeah, period. it was.
1: The night before the, the, night before the desert, I know that was my last chance. Like, we just finished main course, so. but... I got to go in and I was going up first and my, my, my dessert had over 15 elements. It was, you know, it was a lot of stuff See, I was yeah. creating. So I made the, the far away tree by Elia Bladen and everything was, and then I had this dream that like I couldn't sleep. I, I just, I got home, I, I, you know, by 11 PM, I was ready to go back into the kitchen. I want to get in, but you know, you got to wait till five a.m. to wake up. And I was like waking up every like half an hour. I couldn't sleep. I was buzzing and I had yeah, this yeah. like, in between that half an hour, I had this like little dream slash nightmare that I was up first, and I have so many different chocolate elements. And I remember I had this dream, and I can see the chocolate, but somehow I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't reach it. I couldn't get it, and I was right. asking everybody, please, please, pass me the chocolate, pass me the chocolate. And I tried again, and something was blocking me in my dream. I was trying to do all kind of crazy. I was trying to turn myself into a superhero to get the chocolate. I couldn't, I couldn't combat myself because I was not determined. And then you know you wake up you know it's a dream and then you got in there and you just say you know what as soon as they say guys you have ninety minutes or or two you know how much two hours or whatever the case is you just have to go and yeah. uh, and that's it you know
0: yeah but the minds are a, a a blessing and a curse isn't it the the like the the <laughs> stuff that it, the the tricks it plays on you and. Uh, and the like yeah. at the times when you know, and you could have done with a really good night's sleep that night, probably. But yeah, um, yeah. But, but
1: anyway, but it's, it's, we do it to get We do it to ourselves as chefs, you know, overly passionate, overly. You know, you have to think everything through, and especially when you're in a, a, a competition of such extreme great people around. You know, from the from the you know the cameramen to the organizers, the producers. It's a. It was a, a really a great program. I mean, as I say, I've been watching it all my career as so I've been growing and. So it was, you know, quite nice to, to, to be on there.
0: Yeah. Would you do it again?
1: At that time, I was like, oh, you're not sure. But like, after like a month, two months, later, so Of course, I was definitely, um, I wouldn't mind doing it again. I know you'll be putting yourself and you wonder why do you do this yourself? But at the end of the day, like, <laughs> why not? I don't have anything negative. I mean, I even had, um, you know, bless her heart. She came um, last week, uh, well, Thursday, just gone just to, to check it out. Um, Andy Oliver, the presenter, so... She came to um try the menu and, you know, it was great of her to come down and do it. Um, Sharing that we, we have uh, Caribbean heritage from the back, she's from Antigua, from Anguilla. So, yeah, that was good. I would definitely would be up to do it again if I'm invited. Why not? Because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, we, we, we're going to put ourselves into the hot seat. Why not? You know, we see where we come along. At the end of the day, I think Absolutely. my career is still trying to do what, I, what I'm what i doing and if I can be able to share that with the ball and people to be appreciative of it and, and help to spread that word and get an inspiration because me too, by able, up to this day, I watch the program and I, you know, there's a few people on there and I, I come across new profiles and I see new techniques or ideas and you know I'm intrigued and I think that it's been an amazing place to showcase that so bless the Great British Menu for having me.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I think that as a show, I think it's such a wonderful shop window for the industry in general because, the you know, you can see the the passion and desire of everybody that goes through the, the kitchen in that process. But also, the, like, the team spirit is phenomenal. You know, you're, yes, you're all competing against each other, but you don't want to see your competitive, you know, fall on their arse, basically, do you? I mean, you're all yeah. there helping each other and... To, to make sure that you know everybody's as elevated as possible, because actually, that put that puts you in the right frame of mind as well to do your best work. Because yeah, you, you know, you're not there to cause problems. You're there to push yourself to your absolute limit, and you get there because other people are pushing themselves as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of good camaraderie <clears throat> next to it, especially even when you get to the banquet, because you're only those chefs and that's it, you're all working on each other, helping each other with the menu, and you're scaling everything up to 80 to 100 portions. And some people have less elements, more elements, and we all got to jump in and still uh, get it executed. It's a very nice environment to be in and ensure that regardless of your achievements, if you have a, a one star, two star, no star, at the end of the day, we, are just, we all are just chefs cooking food to bring happy memories towards guests. And, you know, we share yeah. that same vision with each, with each other. So,
0: yeah. No, good on you. I, uh, that was really indulgent for me, by the way. I was really, really intrigued to learn about the process for, for Great British Menu. So I, I thank you very much for giving us such a, a great insight uh, into that. I hope other, other people got as much enjoyment out of that as I did. Yeah. But I'm conscious of time. But before you go, one question that I like to ask everybody is, what would be your top three reasons as to why somebody should come and work in hospitality?
1: One, I think, like we kind of mentioned it a bit earlier, I think regardless of anything that you do in, in in your career, you can be an accountant, you can be a lawyer, everybody still needs to eat. And I think this is an industry that is of a necessity and it as well as rewarding towards you having the ability to learn a craft that you can use in your day-to-day life, you know, um, I think the hospitality provides you being able to take the rewards not only to home to you but as well to spread that around and love through your knowledge and as you grow and you develop in providing great hospitality great service making someone feel less communicated less um uncomfortable sorry you know leaving the restaurant just by you know taking a jacket explaining them a dish saying thank you putting a smile on their face and you know sometimes people come back to the restaurant on three different things, they come back for not just the food, they come back for the service, you know. Yeah. And hospitality is about service. So, I, you know, I always recommend that this is a safe place for people that are unsure as well of where they want to go next in their career. You know, lots of people, I have people that work for me that was working in architecture or working as um, IT, and they stopped that at 30 something years old and they come and work in the kitchen to, to be a chef. Kinda of didn't really find it interesting or whatever, but in the, in the yeah. same way, you can you can start off here young, and be the chef, and then while you're figuring everything out, you can then go on to do something else. And so it's a it's a great platform to stand alone on its own, and take care of you But as well. It's equally a platform that you can, you know, transcend. You can pass through. You don't have to just make that decision now. So lots of people when they come up with, out of out of college, they end up going to work to be a pot washer. They go to be a waiter you just go to be a chef? That's like a starting one. They fall in love with it and they stay. Or even yeah. so, they go on and they they study for five, six years, get a bachelor's degree in this, and then come back and say, well, it's boring. At the end of the day, hospitality will be a place of of shining a light and bringing spies to people. And everyone It definitely will give you ups and downs of happiness. And, and that's what we are about. You know, you, you're not going to come yeah. in every day and feel it's mundane and it's uninteresting because every day there's a, a different customer and there's different change. To, to the menus, to the ingredients, to the seasons, So we have a lot to go by um, on interpretation. And by keeping things not completely set and having that level of spontaneity, I think that is something everyone looks for in their life rather than waking up every day and thinking your life is absolutely just the same.
0: Rigid. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah oh, for sure. I mean, if there's one thing this industry definitely is not, it's definitely not boring, for sure. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, if people want to get a hold of you to learn about you and what you're up to and maybe learn a little bit more about your your wonderful concept that you've got on the go now, what's the, the best method for them to do that?
1: The quickest way to do that will be through my Instagram, kerf.gums, or just, you know, K-E-R-T-H-G-U-M-B-S. You know, um, it gives you a a real up-to-time view of what I'm doing daily in the kitchen or, you know, every other day is some kind of post, whether in my stories or on my main page, Um, Yeah, that would be the quickest way for you guys to see what I'm doing. Or you can always just come down and shake a leg with me in the restaurant. Um, You know, I'm there from Wednesday to Saturday. Um, We are doing brunch lunch, which is easy accessible dishes. But like I said, I highly recommend if you can do book and come down for 6pm, which I do to taste the menu paired with cocktails. Based on my interpretation of Caribbean dishes growing up, eating and shining a light on those humble ingredients in a modern way, using these international techniques, I've picked up over all these years of working overseas. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, and I actually love the fact that you're doing a pairing with cocktails. That's, that strikes me as being quite unique uh, and gives you, I suppose, your, your bartenders an opportunity to also be equally as creative.
1: Yes, yes. The bartenders are, are great because, as I said, the founder of the concept, Adam Carr, um, and there's another guy Caesar Britton, they were you know, opening bars and so forth for other people in, in Dubai and, and, and so forth for the last seven, eight years, and now it's about time they wanted to do it for yourself. So when they were more on the whiskey side of things, and I was like, okay, cool. When if you're going to do uh, my tasting menu, I'd like it to be with cocktails. Why do we use uh, different whiskeys in the in those cocktails to replicate, so they're very interesting, you know. Um, I would say, you know, there's um like smoked Negronis, very light. There's um Martinis, there's Daiquiris, there's but you know all with, you know, there's a whiskey colada instead of a normal pina colada nice. with rum. So there's just like little, little different things to give little nods and, and symmetries, but it's definitely the, the part of the menu where it's, where is more creative and and uh, lots more change and interesting flavors. And I will highly recommend some you guys do come out and check it out. Fantastic!
0: No, that's great. Look, I I massively appreciate you spending some time with us today and sharing your story. I uh, I think you're an absolute shining light for this industry. I, I think your energy and positivity and what you're doing deserves all the credit it gets and I just you know I I, I hope you continue to be successful and I'll be carrying on watching your progress and see you on Great British Menu in 2023
1: (laughs) Cheers thank you get the word out there
0: (laughs) yeah nice one Kath thanks so much
1: cheers Phil thank you so much cheers
0: no worries bye and there we have it I'm incredibly grateful to get some time with Keirth. His energy and passion for his craft is awesome, and hospitality is lucky to have him. Get yourself down to Boiler and Company to experience Kerth's wonderful and unique food. We will, of course, be back next Wednesday with another cracking story from hospitality. So until then, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.